if you're going to thrive in the future, you know, customers have to look at your organization and feel that it represents them. And if you are, an, uh, for example, an organization that perhaps provides financial services, um, you'll be providing financial services to individuals from all walks of life, all backgrounds. And if you don't have individuals in your organization who perhaps have, you know, lived that experience, how can you really be serving them adequately and 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 giving them the best experience as a customer? Hello, and welcome back to Zebra Talk. My name is Matt Mayer, I'm your host, and today I'm in conversation with the founder of Vision Path, Patrick Philpot. Vision Path works with employers, schools, and students to make sure that all of those individuals and organizations are future ready. In conversation, we talk about social mobility and the responsibility that business has to ensure social mobility, but also the way in which it can benefit from it. We look at social mobility in the context of learning and development and CSR, and we think about how organisations can make practical steps forward to ensure that they are making a positive contribution to social mobility, but more importantly, getting access to the best resources for their future. I'm delighted to be in conversation today with Patrick Philpot, who is the founder of Vision Path, which is an organization designed to engage, develop and recruit diverse future talent, which Patrick, I think, is a fantastic uh, objective in life. And um, welcome to the welcome to the conversation. And we're really interested to hear a little bit more about Vision Path and, and you and, and why you founded it. Yes, yeah, so thanks. So I, um, I started Vision Path about 10 years ago now. Um, I'd uh, I just left school. Um, I'd had uh, not an amazing experience in school of um, careers advice and um, uh, kind of preparing me for my future. I went to quite a, it was a, a strange school in as much as it was um, one of those schools that was in ostensibly quite a nice part of the world, but it was one of the kind of failing schools in the area. So, you know, the catchment area and kind of the profile of the school meant that, you know, lots of young people, myself included, came from you know, low income backgrounds where you didn't have kind of professional connections. And so the knock on effect of that was, you know, no access to kind of the world of work and, and the kind of the networks and so on that can give you that exposure to, to what working life is, is like in a kind of professional world. And that experience coupled with the kind of poor experience of careers advice that I had meant that I came out of that school really with a sense of, well, now what, what do I do? I didn't want to go to university and, um, and, and didn't really know kind of what the future held. I'd done quite well at school, but, you know, didn't really have that sense of, of what was next for me. I knew that other people from my sort of background were in a very similar position. Um, and certainly in my school and then looking further afield, realizing that it wasn't an isolated example, that there were lots of young people out there who, you know, had, had similar experiences and especially coming from backgrounds like mine where, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of money around. There weren't all the networks and connections that give you that sort of access and exposure. All of that taken together can can make kind of starting out quite difficult for a young person. I started Vision Path with this idea of helping young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to to embark on on great careers um, and to help employers to to understand what talent from diverse backgrounds can bring to their businesses and to help to inspire and engage and and recruit them into their workforces. Fast forward uh, to today, we've worked with about 15,000 young people. We work across the country, working with employers who want to to reach a very different audience of young people and young talent they can bring into their businesses, um, generally at kind of school leave or apprentice level. And we work with companies from SMEs uh, right through to multinationals who... um, who want to make a difference and, and connect with new talent that they're not currently reaching and ensure that they're having a positive impact on young people's futures. 
And I think that one of the really interesting things about, about your approach, about Vision Pass approach, is the fact that you're working with employers, with schools, and with young people. Because I guess on all sides of that equation, all three sides of that equation, when it comes to opportunity, you don't know what you don't know. And, and the ability to connect that is really valuable. Absolutely. I think that is that is one of the, the biggest challenges. And, and someone, I uh, can't remember who it was, he said it now, so I can't credit them. But um, but someone said that um, asking, a young people, young, asking a young person to picture their career um, is like asking them to imagine a colour that they've never seen before. And it really just, for me, that, that quote has stuck with me um, because it absolutely hits the nail on the head that you know, if you don't know what that looks like, how on earth can you envisage it or imagine yourself in that position? And young people that I speak to, in, in schools, colleges, they, you know, they have quite often lots of preconceived ideas about what a career is like, a real reluctance to embrace the sort of nine to five or to engage in the nine to five, um, which hopefully COVID might actually you know be a, a, a positive in that respect, because it's really kind of throwing wide open the way that we work and, and, and how, how we look at, you know, our work patterns and our, our work-life balance. Um, so that might encourage young people to see that slightly differently. But I think there's a lot of very outdated perceptions of work among young people um, influenced by the fact that they often just don't have enough exposure or kind of access to really understand what work is truly like and, and how they can, you know, they can do work that they love and, and, you know, and find a, a fulfilling career and, um, and do something they enjoy as well. I think when we, when we think about these issues, certainly within the Zebra project, they, they come under the, the banner of social mobility, which may be a good thing, maybe it may be a bad thing. I, I'd, be in, I'd be interested in, in your take on what, what social mobility means in, in 2020 um, Britain, but, but, all, but also the extent to which this is, a, this is a business responsibility or a business challenge, at least, because when we think about social mobility, quite often we see that as a, you know, it's a, it's a societal problem that requires a government response. But actually, you know, how important is business in, in addressing this issue? I think from from the perspective of business and how they can can uh, address the issue, I think it it really just requires a, a new way of thinking about talent and how you identify and, and engage with your new talent. I think if you if you look back over the years, there have been huge strides and huge efforts made around kind of gender diversity, around ethnic diversity, um, and kind of uh, and LGBT and and all the other kind of dimensions of the sort of diversity. Uh, agenda or the pieces of the jigsaw social mobility and social diversity has kind of been is is that sort of last piece of the jigsaw that, that hasn't really been placed and i think it's because it's it's very very difficult to to measure people are quite reluctant to talk about class about their background i spoke at one of taylor vinter's people summits last year about social mobility and how it can feed into recruitment and someone made a really good point there which is that you know you need to champion social mobility by having role models who've kind of made it who've kind of come from a a, a, a challenging background and have kind of made their way through but people are often reluctant to talk about um, their background until they feel they've elevated themselves beyond it that they've been successful whatever success means for them or whatever success looks like so it's quite a it's quite a challenging area to tackle and i think business needs to kind of stimulate conversation within organizations to actually delve a bit deeper into what does their workforce look like? Where, where's their workforce come from? What are some of the barriers they faced? And it might then help to kind of debunk some of the myths about what social mobility really means. So to, to your point about, about that and, and what does it mean in 2020, 
I talk to companies all the time about social mobility and social diversity and, and we're getting quite a long way beyond now the attitude of uh, you know, those sort of monitoring questions of did mum or dad go to university or um, what was the highest level of education they achieved. There are so many different facets to this that can influence how a company thinks about it. So it could be as simple as your location. If you're an organisation in, say, I don't know, Peterborough or Cambridge, on your doorstep, you have a lot of cold spots for social mobility, which are um, identified because of things like transport links. The fact that you can have young people who actually might not be from the, the poorest of backgrounds as such, but their ability to access employment is limited by virtue of the fact that where they live is quite remote. So if you look like the, the Fens, for example, is a known cold spot because it's so difficult to access employment in bigger towns because transport links are quite poor and if you are from a poorer background and can't afford a car for example how do you then get to that job and so there are lots of those dimensions that i think don't always get picked up on and aren't always part of everyone's thinking when you consider social mobility there's a lot of um, kind of stereotypes about that but we need to start thinking more widely about what this means and then we can start to to move the needle a bit i think and i think in the broader inclusivity um agenda the point you made earlier is about people not really talking about their disadvantage until they've overcome it is is a really interesting one because you know my sense is that most people who 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 I come across who champion um the fact that they've come from a disadvantaged background is because they've succeeded in spite of that rather than because of that and i think there's a really interesting conversation to to have in business about from an inclusivity perspective thinking about what what experiences life experiences skills motivations passions do we need in our businesses in the future and you know perhaps we have to look a little bit harder and in some difficult places to find those because the homogenous system that brings many people to many jobs doesn't offer that diversity absolutely i think you know delving into encouraging people to reflect on their background and look at what that gave them is you know in terms of you know strengths attributes and so on is crucial to to i think helping people to value their background you know it's quite often you know talking to people who come from kind of uh, poorer backgrounds or more disadvantaged backgrounds sometimes there's a there's a bit of an embarrassment about it and, and i think that is why people are sometimes reluctant to to reflect back and i think in that respect you know if we can do more to try and unpack you know if you come from a, a more challenging background what has that experience given you what were some of the things you were exposed to growing up for example that have maybe influenced your ability to succeed in in work now, and, and of course, success is a very arbitrary thing, and and it means things means different things to different people. But actually, you know, if we can look at you know sometimes um, you know the way you've had to be more resourceful, perhaps, or the way you've had to perhaps work that bit harder to to get somewhere than someone who's come from a perhaps a more privileged background. All of those all of those traits and attributes that it can give you are really important, and that's what then is valuable to businesses from recruiting from a more socially diverse um uh, background is that coming from uh, you know a more a more disadvantaged um, background will give you a whole range of skills and experiences and attributes that that um that can then be you know quite powerful in your career and, and valuable to a business and i think from an employer perspective that approach feels much more integral much more natural it's it's less transactional it's not it's not about engaging with social mobility issues from a transactional CSR perspective. It's actually about building something into an organization, which is about searching out the right skills, the right talents. And and you talk a lot in Vision Path about 
about making people future ready. And I think that applies as much to organisations as it does to to individuals. Absolutely, yeah. You've got to you've got to ensure that you're representing the um, you know representing your customer base. If you're going to thrive in the future, you know customers have to look at your organisation and feel that it represents them. And if you are, an, uh, for example, an organisation that perhaps provides financial services. Um, you'll be providing financial services to individuals from all walks of life, all backgrounds. And if you don't have individuals in your organisation who perhaps have you know, lived that experience, how can you really be serving them adequately and, and, and giving them the best experience as a customer? You can't unless you've got people in your workforce who have been in their shoes of, and, and, and have experienced some of those challenges. And, and I think that's where it, it plays in. You have to, you know, you have to have that lived experience to really be able to kind of bring some sort of knowledge of that to, that, that can help people in the, in, in how they you know, help organizations to, to engage with their customers and to, and to be, be more successful in the future. Patrick, you talked earlier in, in the conversation about the, the challenges you'd had personally with a, with a less than positive experience around, career support and, and guidance I, i'm wondering to what extent you think these social mobility challenges or, or the opportunity to address them start in the education system and, and and to what to what extent businesses can engage with with schools and other parts of the education system to help address those problems i think business engagement in schools is essential to to helping young people progress and to develop and understanding where for businesses understanding where to target that support is is crucial um if you look at you know my experience of the school i went to was in quite a leafy bit of hertfordshire which was you know quite quite nice sort of commuter belt really but actually the area and the, the sort of catchment area and where people like myself and others in the school who came from were, were were the kind of not not nice bits of town and so lots of us in that school didn't really have the the kind of connections to or kind of networks or access to really understand the world of work so the challenge was that where other schools in the area the profile of students meant that perhaps there, there was more of that kind of um more of those networks and that that those connections available because of the you know the family backgrounds and so on naturally there were there were sort of defaulted that there were more opportunities for those so i think for any business that's looking to 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 make an impact it's really interrogating the areas where you're looking to to connect and really looking at well is that the school where if we engage with those young people, we're going to make the biggest difference? Looking at data around disadvantage, around free school meals, around pupil premium, to really understand what, what's the profile of students in that school and, and are we really going to make the biggest impact there? And not being afraid to go to a school and so that we really want to connect with those young people who are going to find it hardest to access, you know, um, access careers, to access you know, great role models for their future who perhaps don't have connections, don't have networks, where we feel we can make the biggest impact. And, and schools will be open to that. So I think you know, business engagement in education is 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 crucial to helping to drive social mobility and to start that quite early. Don't leave it till sixth form, but start it lower down. Start it, you know, some people say start in primary schools, you can do that. But if that feels a bit much, then bar means look at starting when they're, you know, 12, 13, putting people into schools, creating great role models. And uh, and in particular, people who've come from backgrounds where they've they've really had to kind of strive to get to where they are. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll resonate with young people who are from the sort of background they came from and think you know that's someone like me and someone that I can become and I think that will be that that's you know, the most powerful most powerful way that a business can really engage is to 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 think kind of forensically about where they invest their time and energies and you know and bring those role models into schools as well and what I love about that approach is that it's it's very positive it's not about a CSR campaign to help disadvantaged people it's about as you say, developing and engaging future talent, and and you can never start too early, too early on that journey. 
in terms of in terms of doing that forensic analysis, is that data is that information available from schools or centrally through um, through local authorities? Where where do where do businesses start with that? Yeah, so you can there, you know, there's all sorts of data you can you can find. Um, schools will publish data about their pupil premium levels, for example, and you can benchmark that against against national averages and so on to give you a sense of you know, of which of the schools that perhaps are going to be most most in need of support. Don't be don't be a slave to data. Is my experience so um, because actually if you you know you might look at some schools in a particular area and say well, well none of them are really looking terribly disadvantaged in inverted commas if you look at it, if you benchmark it against national data but if you look at perhaps the wider context of the area if it's a, an otherwise fairly affluent area but you might have a school that just seems compared to all the others to be disproportionately higher even if it's not near the averages for benchmarking you know that's that's a, an indication that perhaps there's a school there that is drawing students from you know particular parts of town or particular catchment areas a particular profile of student where you might have a bit more of an impact and it's just it's just looking at almost what you call the anomalies my school would have been the same when I was growing up in an area that you know say was was quite nice but our school was was you know was was kind of the, the rough school in the area and it was the one where people would have had probably more impact if they'd really invested their time there contrast to others nearby so it's it's looking at the data being informed by the data but not necessarily being a slave to it and, and sometimes trusting your instincts about is this a school where we think we can really make an impact with these young people. I think that, that idea of looking for the anomalies is really interesting because so often you think about disadvantage as being a geographical or a community-based thing, but actually what you're talking about is is consciously looking for inequality of opportunity, whether that's social, financial, you know, about the access to economic opportunities that your parents bring, whatever it may be, but that those anomalies stand out in the data. Absolutely right. And it's sort of an opportunity poverty in some schools where, where you know, just the, 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 the a set of circumstances means that, you know, young people in that school just don't have access in the way that others just down the road might have access. And um, and it can it can make all the difference if an employer were to focus on a school on one side of the road versus the other. And we've seen it where it's as simple as that, where there'll be, you know, two schools in, you know, within half a mile of each other. And if you focus on one, you'll have much more of an impact than if you focus on another. It's just really understanding all those different factors that can drive disadvantage. Um, and um, it's not just economic. It can be a whole raft of different things. It's interesting. And the the irony as an employer is that the schools that tend to reach out to you are the ones that have the most opportunity, the most confidence to do that, the most connections to do that. But actually, it's 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 it should be the other way around, and we should be looking for those opportunities to help. Yeah, and and just you know going out there and 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 don't be afraid of schools. You know, and and I think people, I wonder whether people's own experience of school makes them reluctant to um to then engage with schools later on in life. But um, but yeah, don't be don't be you know don't be afraid of connecting with schools and and just it's just about understanding how they work, how they communicate, how they operate. And, and trying to find a way of, of working together, which you know, is something that we do a lot of at, at Vision Path, helping our, our partners to, our um, employer partners to, to, to build really strong relationships with schools. And it's, it's ultimately about communication and collaboration and, and having a kind of, you know, a shared will to, to make something happen. If you can establish that, then, then you'll, you'll have great success. But it sometimes just needs the employer to make the first move. So many, many of our listeners will be be running businesses or sit on boards and if and if if they are a, a board member thinking about um how they address social mobility issues or just you know engage with that inequality of opportunity that might exist in the local community what are the what are the three things that you would encourage a board to think about right now as a practical starter um so the first thing that uh, uh, leaders of an organization can do is to um create the conversation and to 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 start 
being really open in their business um, around the conversation. You know, where do people come from? What are their backgrounds? Um, you know, people are quite uncomfortable talking about class and background and um, and and kind of their their sort of social status. I think people get quite uncomfortable about that. It's it's very relative. People see it very differently. Um, but I think you need to start creating that conversation. You can't really sort of move things forward until you know the place where you're starting from. And um, in the same way, the businesses um, uh, you know, created those kind of safe conversations around you know, gender inequality and, and racial issues at work and, and sexuality. Um, and as a result, we've seen a lot of change in those areas um, until businesses start to create similar sort of dialogue um, and stimulate that conversation in their businesses um, and within their workforce um, so that people do feel more comfortable being open about their background and the challenges they've faced and kind of how they've come to the position they're in and what they've had to overcome to get there and what that's given them. Um, I don't think we're going to kind of move things forward. So I'd say that's the first first thing for a business to do is look at how you can stimulate that conversation within your workforce to, to understand more about that. The next thing really is to then start looking at some of your processes, particularly around recruitment. So that's where if you if you want to bring more to a social diversity into your workforce and and make an impact on social mobility, you need to start looking at the processes um, that you're you're using for recruitment. So if you are recruiting predominantly early careers from a sort of you know, Russell Group background, where you know people have you know, gone to good schools, gone to good universities, um, and that's really where you're recruiting from, and that's your focus. You're not going to get a true diversity in your workforce through that. You're not going to get a, a wide enough range of social backgrounds into your business. Um, so you might need to start thinking about, you know, dropping certain criteria, maybe looking more, um, you know, if you talk about early careers, looking more at um, hiring at school leader level um, and then starting to drill into the schools you're going into, as I mentioned earlier, around looking at data, understanding kind of the challenges in your areas and starting to, to kind of drill into that and focus on, on different schools and, and just try to find people from different backgrounds and make sure you're reaching uh, a wider audience. Um, and I think then once you've, you've um, you know, social mobility is not just about kind of bringing people in and then hoping that they flourish despite being from a, you know, a disadvantaged background, say. Um, you've actually got to work to kind of ensure the environment is inclusive and that they feel that they can be open and, and honest and, and themselves in the workplace. Um, so you know, when you talk about... Um, you know, inclusion in, in respect of other aspects of the diversity uh, kind of picture. Um, there are lots of different things that businesses can do um, around that. Um, obviously, having those kind of safe conversations being one of them. But you know, one thing that we've heard is that, you know, for example, there are companies that are perhaps less so at the moment because of COVID, but in the past they would have you know company ski trips, for example, for perhaps a lot of their younger workers. And you would have people who come from backgrounds where maybe, you know, like me, I never got on a plane before I was 18 years old because we never had foreign holidays. Um, people like you know, who then have never gone skiing because that was never part of their sort of upbringing. That wasn't a, that wasn't a pursuit that they followed. Um, suddenly at the age of you know, 21, 22, 23, coming into the workplace where that is a thing, and if you don't go on that trip, are you going to be perhaps excluded? You're not part of that kind of that cohort in your business going on that trip and building those connections. Does that then exclude you? So you've got to start thinking about okay, maybe some of these things, they might work for some people, but they don't work for everyone. And you just need to be sure that, you know, some of the kind of the activities that are designed to kind of build a community within your business are actually including people from all different backgrounds and don't make them feel like they're not part of the team or make them feel that um, because of their background, they, they, they can't be part of that, that experience. And think, thinking about the businesses that you're, you're working with, 
what what sort of things are they engaging with you about where, where do they come into this conversation and, and where do they typically leave this conversation if they do where most of our conversations begin is where organizations uh recognize that their i suppose two things first is that their their workforce is perhaps not as socially diverse as it could be or as they would, they would like it to be and so it is that recognition that having a more socially diverse workforce will bring those those you know, a different set of experiences of skills of attributes of we explained earlier so companies that are recognizing that and want to ensure that their workforce is representative of that in the same way that they want to ensure their workforce is representative of different genders of different ethnicities of sexual orientation they see it as part of that wider inclusion and diversity uh, conversation which is really important and really positive the other side of that is often where they recognize that perhaps they are a levy paying organization and so they have the 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 means of funding the training of apprentices and want to kind of then marry the two to say, right, we know that social diversity is, is perhaps not a strength for us at the moment um, in our organisation, in our workforce. And we have this opportunity to use our levy to, to fund the training of apprentices. Let's make sure that those apprentices are actually attracting a different type of uh, talent into our workforce. And that tends to be where the conversation begins, where companies are are looking at looking at those two kind of objectives and, and see them as you know, going hand in hand. And that tends to be where where, uh, where most of our conversations start. And if you were if you were listening to this conversation and and you're you're working within a business, you're a leader within a business who you know is keen to keen to to make the business stronger through engaging with social mobility as an agenda. What would you recommend as the the starting point? So where companies usually start from with um, the social mobility issue or kind of recognising they want to do something about it, we our conversations generally start with companies that might be, for example. Uh, apprenticeship levy payers and they um, recognize that you know we have an apprenticeship levy we want to use it um, we don't want to let it go to the government by not using it um, so we want to, to do something with this and we want, perhaps want to build our first intake of apprentices um, or to to kind of do it in a more coherent way if we've not done before and while we're on that journey of trying to bring more kind of consistency into our early careers program Let's also look at the diversity of that intake and ensuring that we're getting the widest range of backgrounds into our business. Um, and that's often where conversations for us start with employers is where they're, they're just looking ahead at that. They're making those strategic plans um, for, the, uh, for their kind of future workforce and their, their early careers. And, and if they're going to do it right, they want to make sure that diversity is, is front and center in that. And, um, and looking beyond the, the typical kind of diversity attributes of, you know, of, of, of race, of ethnicity, of, of sexuality, of gender, and actually looking at, you know, are we bringing people in from the widest range of backgrounds with all the different experiences that brings um, that are valuable to our business? So that's that's where it starts. Um, the other place that it can start from is where, where actually businesses have done some of the things that I mentioned earlier about um, you know, having that conversation in their business, starting to look at the, the um, starting to look at, you know, how, how socially diverse are they? How, how good are they at promoting and fostering social mobility in their workforce? Recognising that maybe they've not been very good at it. Perhaps they haven't in the past had processes, recruitment process that, processes that have supported social mobility and social diversity. And they recognise they need to do something different. And for them, they want to make sure that they're reaching the widest possible audience of, of young people, um, early careers, school leavers, um, and making sure that they're you know, talking to you know, non-selective state secondary schools where they're going to reach a wide range of young people from all different backgrounds. Um, so that's often the other the other side of it. So it's going to be either people who are sort of recognise they're perhaps not doing as well as they'd like to on this and want to make a difference, or people who are kind of 
early on on that journey and want to uh, want to get it right first time and then recognize that diversity is 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 key to that and i'm presuming that um the the challenges that covid has created in the broader economy from a from a logistical perspective as well as an economic sense has, has impacted your work what's What's on the what's on the agenda for Vision Path now, and what does the future hold, and and how has COVID affected that? So I think because we work with schools and colleges a lot, uh, as you can imagine, schools and colleges are grappling with a whole manner of uh, a whole array of different uh, challenges at the moment of getting students back in September, and obviously having been managing you know, blended remote learning and so on uh, in recent months. So it's been a lot on their plate. So the fact that we deal with schools and colleges. I think one of our big priorities is to ensure that careers education doesn't slip down the, the to-do list for schools um, amidst the, the desire to kind of catch up on curriculum time that's been lost and so on. It's really important that, that careers remains a priority, uh, particularly for those who are perhaps in sixth form and particularly year 13. Uh, they'll be obviously leaving school in September next year. And it's important that they still get a, a, a good level of careers support and guidance. Um, so that's something that is that we're, we're actively trying to um, uh, encourage and, and keep it high on the agenda. As you can imagine, as, as with a lot of companies, we've, we've had to shift a lot of our work from in-person delivery to, to virtual delivery. But actually, it's something that we've really embraced and 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 have enjoyed having you know, having to reinvent a lot of what we do. And it's it means that we can actually reach more young people through our work because you're not constrained by the, the physicalities of a, of a space um, where you can bring people together you, you can actually reach a lot more young people you can do more work um, with the young people you're already engaged with so we've, you know programs that we're delivering we've been adding virtual elements into that um, just to enhance that and, and create more opportunities for them to learn and develop so actually it's been a really positive experience in many respects I think Naturally, COVID is creating a lot of challenges for employers in terms of their resource planning. There is a, a, some organisations we, we talk to are looking at maintaining their apprenticeship numbers for next year, for example. Others are uncertain about what that looks like. And, and I think that's contributing to what is expected to be quite a, a big drop in early careers um, starts over the next 12 months. Um, researchers suggested about a 23% drop in early career starts in in uh, in the next 12 months and that's obviously going to have an impact on young people's career prospects and the availability of opportunities so all of those different things are obviously presenting challenges but great opportunities for us and the same with many other businesses and i think the fact that as the world of work is changing and you know remote flexible working will become much more the norm for all businesses than, than before it then presents an opportunity for businesses to look at their talent um the new talent they're bringing in and so actually do we have to recruit from the same locations we always recruited from could we actually create opportunities to recruit people from further afield talent that we wouldn't have normally reached because they don't have to be in our office five days a week so we can have a you know we can have a different working arrangement with them which then suddenly creates an opportunity and if you're thinking about young people and their access to opportunities location is a, is a big factor because they need to be able to get to that job. Uh, and, and sometimes they don't have as, uh, the, the means of transport that the more established workers will have. So that, that creates potentially some opportunities for, for young people if companies are willing to be sort of open-minded about how they can look differently at actually where they get their talent from and looking at looking further afield and maybe tapping into some of those cold spots where social mobility is a real problem and, and where access to a job through transport and so on is the, is the underlying issue that could actually change the game for a lot of young people. And I guess organisations being very conscious about that and doing it purposefully. It's interesting. We had a conversation recently with um, Limbert Spencer for the Centre for Inclusive Leadership and talked about exactly this and, and the, 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 the alignment between 
this challenge for business for society from a social mobility perspective but also from an inclusivity perspective is 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 really really clear i think you know i'm 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 fascinated to see how it plays out with with young people's attitudes to 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 next steps seeing all the disruption that's going on in the education system and you know perhaps that the educational experience may not be quite what it was whether that's at a level college um level or whether it's in in universities may you know may just open people's minds up to looking at looking at different different alternatives i mean clearly that's not necessarily an issue for the for the most disadvantaged in society but but i think one of one of the other things that that fascinates me is how covid has made people think more at a community and network level so we'd all got very used to to operating in very dispersed geographically dispersed um communities but actually that sense of place that sense of network and 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 personal community has become more important and you know maybe maybe there's a positive in there for the ability of companies to support each other communities to support each other in a way that perhaps they didn't um in 2019 yeah for sure and i think you know the way that companies have had to rethink the way their employees connect and 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 bond at the moment because you can't be in an office environment so they're having to create new ways of almost kind of socializing employees and creating that kind of sense of uh, sort of social network within within a, within a workforce if we're going to have particularly young people coming into the workforce where they might be spending more time working from home than than they would have done in the past applying some of that thinking how do we ensure that you know if you've got a young person who actually might be starting out in the world of work from their bedroom um not from an office how do you ensure that they feel included they feel part of your organization they still feel part of a team they ha- they don't feel isolated what can we learn from this this way we've had to rethink the way people connect and and interact and the way you have to build that sense of kind of you know almost sort of social interaction but on a very virtual level how can we bring that to to play to ensure that young people coming into the workforce aren't losing out on the opportunity to build those really essential social skills they get from being in a in a in an office environment five days a week there's a lot that the office can bring especially to someone starting out which is it's you know their first job will be where they learn sometimes by making mistakes about all the all the kind of um you know social uh, social skills and 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 so on of, of being in work we need to ensure that covid doesn't doesn't hold a young person back by not giving them that experience that same experience how can we do that differently so um for sure i think you know the way we're building new communities and 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 networks is 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 yeah, we need to take that learning forward and ensure that we're applying that to help young people get the best start in work as well. Yeah, that's that certainly resonates with me. And in, in our own business, here we have a, a live debate at the moment about you know clearly you don't want to just just hold back on bringing new talent into the business and create a kind of lost generation in the business, but equally you you have a responsibility to give new people, particularly young people, joining the business, the profession the best start in their career and the, the best opportunities and how do you balance those those two things um, and I think yeah those are really very live issues for for many employers I think so and and one of the things that we talk to young people a lot at the moment as you can imagine about their their worries for the future and 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 you know how you know, for example their, their exam grades are going to play into that you know one young person we spoke to recently on one of our programs said that when it comes to their exams they've had years and years of being told that exams and the grades they get are vital to their future success and now they're suddenly being told actually they're not that important after all don't worry about it too much because you know because they might not get the grades that they they were expecting and how difficult it is to shake that mindset companies we talked to have been very flexible and and pragmatic about it and uh, are not 
they're not going to give such consideration to these things. But there's, there's those challenges are, are, are playing out. And then, you know, attached to that, that sense of, well, if I'm going to start in work and, and perhaps not be in an office around people five days a week, what opportunities am I going to miss out on? What progression am I going to miss out on? You know, those those chances just be picking up tasks that can then lead to something, to, to a bigger responsibility, which is often how people's jobs evolve, especially when you're first into the workplace. How, how is you know, how are we going to ensure that we, we, we still create those those uh, those opportunities for young people in work when they're perhaps not not working in an office five days a week if at all initially so yeah it's the same way for you guys thinking about how, how you manage that is something we hear as a concern from a lot of young people is just how, how am I going to be held back by the way the world of work is changing if, if I'm going to be held back yeah definitely some big some big questions some big challenges in there and I think you know I hope that the zebra community can play a part in trying to share some experience ideally some best practice but definitely some experience on how how we're how people are addressing that and um, be good to be good to talk to you again in the, in six months time and see what see what best practice you've you've been exposed to through that I, just i mean I'm finish up really with asking probably quite an unfair and difficult question but there'll, there'll be a number of people listening to this who are thinking yeah i i, I get this and i understand this from my own life experiences or i can see this in my own community in my life but in business i find this really hard to as an issue to tackle if you were going to put one thing on the board agenda of a good business of a zebra business that that related to to social mobility what what would it be for you i think the thing that businesses need to keep really high on their agenda especially now with social mobility is recognizing the um kind of unique challenges that young people have been experiencing right now around covid and how that's having an impact on their future we know that there's a lot of talk about leveling up right now um government's ambition to kind of ensure that no one is left behind but um whether that is achieved obviously we'll, we'll, we'll wait to see but certainly the upheaval in the education system has has created a, a huge amount of uncertainty around that leveling up and whether young people from poorer backgrounds will be left behind there is certainly evidence to suggest um that young people from more disadvantaged backgrounds are uh, their attainment is lower um, right now um, in this in this sort of COVID time, um, and businesses need to be recognising that perhaps the way that they used to perhaps use grades, for example, as part of their entry criteria for a job, maybe that needs to be um, looked at again because it's not entirely a, a reliable indicator at the moment, um, and actually you could be inadvertently kind of um, favouring those from better off backgrounds who have, um, you know, have higher attainment um, than those from kind of more disadvantaged backgrounds. So I think it's a, it's really understanding a lot of the challenges that young people are facing right now, how their opportunities are sort of starting to, they're becoming harder to access and how can you make them easier to access by breaking down some of those barriers that young people are facing. Um, and I think if you can make them easier to access, then, then social mobility is, is easier to achieve. Brilliant. That's, that's really, really helpful. And if anyone's listening to this who, who would like to in, engage with, with Vision Path and your work, how, how best for them to do that? Please look at our website, which is visionpath.co.uk. Connect with me on LinkedIn um, or find me on Twitter, which is at Patrick Philcott. And uh, we'd be very happy to speak to any organisations that um, are looking at how they, they can bring more social diverse talent into their businesses or if they just want to understand how to, to, to make social diversity and social mobility you know, more accepted in their businesses happy to, to share any experience on that great and i certainly endorse your linkedin content so uh, thanks for that keep up the good work and really appreciate your time today patrick thanks very much 